Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you. If you've got your Bibles tonight, let's go to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. And welcome to Southland Christian Camp. If you're excited, if you're excited to be here, say amen for me, would you? Amen. amen. Four of you. Great. No, just kidding. And so Joshua 7 tonight, and glad that you're here. And uh, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, Joshua chapter 7. And uh, so glad that you're here tonight. So glad to be here as myself. And uh, how many says this is my first time to Southland Christian Camp? Would you raise your hand? My very first time. Good. About almost half of you. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, how many says this is my second time to come this summer? Is there any repeats here? Good. A few of you. Good. Nothing has changed, just so you know. But good. Glad to have you back. And uh, my name's Taylor. I Glad to be here. My wife, Jessica, there in the back, and our little girl, Kylie, she's uh, two and a half years old, and we make her home in Rogers, Arkansas, the northwest corner of the state, and we have the privilege of serving the Lord as an evangelist, so we get to travel and live out of our car like homeless people. It's wonderful, and so we go from church to church and camps in the summer, and so we're glad to be here. Uh, this is a special place to, to me. I love Southland. I served four summers here, three throughout college, and one after my wife and I got married, and so this is a special special place to us, a lot of great memories here, and I love what God's done in my life here, and it's a privilege to preach here this week, sure don't take it for granted, sure appreciate Brother Herbster and his family, and the Kecks, and the Grams, and the Bills, and even Daniel Sisk, I appreciate him, and I was raised with Brother Daniel, and so I've known him for about 20 years, so it's taken me to 20 years to start to like him, so just give it some time, just kidding, uh, but I appreciate his service, and so Joshua 7 tonight, and I uh, hope we have a great week together, been praying for you long before before uh, you got here, and some of you, I mean, half of you said this is the first time that I've ever been here, and so for, for some of you, this is brand new, everything's brand new to you, and to come into a situation like this can be a little bit nerve-wracking, and you don't know what's going on, you don't know what to expect, uh, but can I say you're in a good place this week, uh, you're surrounded by people that care about you, we're glad that you're here, uh, we're here to help you, God gave you a counselor this week to help you along, and we would encourage you, and, and no matter where you're at in your relationship with God this week, we want to help you to take that next spiritual step in your Christian life. And for some of you, that means beginning a relationship with God. Others of you, that would be surrender, maybe to get some sin out of your life or to walk more closely with Him. So wherever you're at in your Christian life, we want to see you take that next step spiritually. I was born and raised in Cleburne, Texas, just about 45 minutes south of Fort Worth. And I was raised in a, born and raised in a Christian
Christian home, and uh, we were we were kind of uh, casual Christians, if I can say that. Uh, we kind of treated church like Vegas. What happened at church stayed at church, you know what I'm saying? And so we didn't really pray together at home. We didn't read our Bibles together at home. Uh, we just kind of showed up at church on Sunday. Uh, but when I was eight years old, I gave my heart to Jesus, and He became my Savior. But when I was 16 years old, I gave Him my life, and He became my Lord. And ever since then, I've tried my best to walk with Him and to live for Him and honor Him. And I've not always been faithful to Him, but He's always been faithful to me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I'm pretty sure I'm grateful for that. And as some of you identify, you come from homes like that, uh, kind of like mine. You can relate with that. Uh, some of you cannot relate with that because you didn't come from a home anything like that. Uh, you would relate more with my wife. My wife was uh, born in California, and when she was five years old, she her family got on a train. They moved to, uh, to Arkansas, and uh, she was raised in a home that, that did not know Jesus. They were not saved. They were not Christians. Uh, there was alcohol involved. Family members were into drugs. Some were in and out of jail, and that's kind of the environment that she was raised in. But a year after she moved to Arkansas, uh, two men from the White Drive Baptist Church came on a Saturday morning and knocked on her door and said, every Sunday morning we drive a bus through here to this trailer park, and if you would like to ride to church on our bus, we'd be glad to take you. Uh, she got permission from her mom and dad, and from the time she was six years old all the way till she was a teenager and could drive herself, she rode a church uh, a bus every Sunday uh, to church. And her mom and dad would maybe make a profession to be saved, uh, but there's certainly no evidence of that. And so some of you can more relate to my wife than you could to me. Uh, but whatever you're at, I want you to know there's a God in heaven who loves you, and He wants to save you, and He wants to take you to heaven one day, and He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And so I hope that you'll receive everything that God has for you this week, and I pray you'll come with an open mind and an open heart, and I hope that you know that we're here to help you and be glad to help you any way that we can. And I know some people get weird around preachers. When preachers walk into a room, uh, people start talking different and acting different, and uh, maybe there's an intimidation thing going on. I'm not sure. Uh, but if I can help you this week, I hope that you would come. And if you got a question, maybe I'm preaching this week, and I say something uh, that you don't understand. It may be the accent. I don't know. Uh, something's not clear. And you say, I didn't understand that. I hope that you know you have liberty and freedom to come up and ask anything that you want to ask. And uh, I'm at all the games, and I'll be on the uh, I'll be in the coffee uh, shop, amen, uh, most of the week. It'll be about 100 degrees uh, this week, so I'll be glad to be in there. And so wherever you see me at, if you got a question, if I can help you, uh, I'd be glad to help you. I want to be a friend to you, and so that would be great. So Joshua chapter 7 tonight, and kick off with a, with a shorter message. I found out pretty quick, uh, preaching here on Monday nights of camp. Uh, you better preach a shorter message, because a lot of people drove all day long, and they start dozing off on you, and so we'll preach a quicker one tonight, and just kind of introduction to set the tone uh, for the entire week. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know that Joshua chapter 6 is the story of the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And Joshua chapter 6 is a chapter of victory. Am I wrong on that? But if you're familiar with the Bible, you also know that chapter 7, the battle of Ai, was a story of defeat. So chapter 7 is a chapter of victory. Chapter uh, chapter 6, chapter 7 is a chapter of defeat. And you'll find this in your Christian life. Many times some of your greatest defeats will follow some of your greatest victories. And also say this as well before we jump in. I don't care how long you've been saved, how long you've walked with the Lord, how good of a Christian you are, what your first name is, what your last name is. Nobody, every person here, no matter how long you've been saved, everyone here is just one step, one choice, one sin from a major defeat in your life. 
That goes for me. That goes for you. Notice chapter 7, verse number 1. The very first word tonight, please. The Bible says, but. Well, that indicates that a change just took place. And it wasn't a good change, it was a bad change. Jump down, read the very last verse of chapter 7, please. Chapter 7, verse number 26, the Bible says, And they raised over him, and they raised over him a great heap or pile of stones unto this Day. Father, thank you for every young person that has made the decision to come to camp this week. And Lord, it is no accident that these young people are here. Lord, they are here because you want them to be here this week. Uh, you want to do something great in their life. Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that we would open up our hearts to receive it. And Lord, I know on a night like this, when they're coming into camp, and Lord, this is brand new to many of them, more than half of them here. This is the first time they've ever been here. Lord, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what to expect. But I pray that you would help call their minds and ease their hearts and Lord in their very first service Lord the barriers would come down and we would allow you to have your will and your way in our hearts tonight. Lord even help me to set aside the nerves tonight and speak with clarity and to think with clarity most importantly uh, we want to preach with power this week. I believe the Holy Spirit can change our lives through the word of God and I pray that would be the case tonight I pray this in Jesus name Amen. Several years ago we went to New York City. In fact we've been there a couple of times now and the first time that we went there when folks heard that we were in the area headed towards New York City they all said the same thing you've got to see the 9-11 memorial you've got to see the 9-11 memorial and so we got to New York City and sure enough there's advertisements for the memorial all, all, all downtown uh, you'll see them they say 9-11 never forget a 9-11 never forget and those are advertisements for the memorial downtown so we went and got our tickets they said be there about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and we showed up there and sure enough there's police officers every where we walked through the metal detectors and we got into the memorial. And where the two trade towers used to stand in their very places are two giant fountains with water that goes down into the ground. You can look over the edge and see the waterfall. Uh, on the outside of those fountains are etched the names of the victims that lost their lives on that terrible day. But those two fountains serve as a memorial. You say, why do we have memorials? Memorials something that helps us to remember and to never forget. In fact, you can almost hear the word memory in the word memorial. But can I say tonight, memorials didn't just start 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Memorials started all the way back in Bible times. God invented memorials. In fact, the first time you see that is in Joshua chapter 2 or 3. And God's people cross the Jordan River. I mean, God pulls back the water. They cross to the other side on dry ground. And they just experienced the miracle of God once they got to the other side. And no doubt, they were slapping high fives and pumping their fists. I mean, they were chest bumping. That's in the Hebrew but it's there. I mean, they just experienced the miracle of God. And no doubt, boy, they are rejoicing and having a time. And God says, time out, hold the phone. I want you to get 12 big old stones and stack them one on top of another. And I want to serve as a memorial and a reminder of what I've done here for you today. In fact, one day, your kids and grandkids are going to pass by this place and they're going to ask the question, what mean ye the, what's the purpose of this pile of stones here? And that's going to be your opportunity 
opportunity to tell them of the miracle that I performed here on this day. You keep on reading the, uh, the rest of the next several chapters of Joshua, and man, it's just one victory after another, one celebration after another, one victory after another. You get to chapter 6, that's the story of Jericho, and of course that uh, story, the walls come tumbling down by faith. You see the power of God at work there, and once again, they experienced another miracle of God. Once again, they're slapping high fives. Once again, they're rejoicing. Once again, they're celebrating the goodness of God. Then all of a sudden, you get to chapter 7, and everything comes to a screeching halt. And all of a sudden, they're not slapping high fives anymore. And all of a sudden, they're not praising the Lord anymore. And all of a sudden, they're not pumping their fists anymore. Then you get to the end of chapter number 7 and another pile of stones are set up and this time it's not for a good reason but for a bad reason so that you and I and God's people would never forget the lesson of the high price of hidden sin. Tonight I want to preach on this subject by way of introduction this week. There's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. I want to give you three truths, three statements about sin from Joshua chapter 7 tonight to just kind of set the tone for the week. I think it would do well if we had the right attitude towards God this week. I think we'd do well if we had the right attitude towards our sin this week as well. Is there sin in the camp? Let me say this at the get-go. As a Christian young person coming to a camp like this, your heartbeat ought to be, Brother Taylor, I've been slacking here lately. I've been backslid lately. I'm not as close to God as I used to be, but I want to come to camp this week, and I want to hear some preaching, and I want to hear some teaching, and I want to get some under the services, and I want God to work in my heart this week so I can go forward for God once again. But may I say this tonight, as long as there's sin in your heart, whether it be known sin or hidden sin in your life, as long as there's sin in your life, you won't move forward for God, you won't move one inch for God until you deal with the sin that's in your heart and in your life. Is there sin... Uh, in the camp. Notice one, number one, real, real quickly tonight. Number one, sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. When you back up to chapter six, that's the story of the battle of Jericho. When the children of Israel arrived there, God says, we're going to do this in just a little bit different. You're not going to swing a sword. You're not going to swing a fist. I want you to march around for one time a day for six days in a row. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the walls seven times. And on the seventh time around, you're going to blow the trumpets and the ram's horn and by faith the walls are going to come tumbling down. They probably thought Lord we've never done this before but may I say you can trust the word of God. I said you can trust the word of God. If God says it you can take it to the bank and you can act on it and obey it. It's going to happen. And so of course they uh, follow the, the leadership of the Lord there uh, but God says I got one rule. When the walls come tumbling down uh, there's going to be lots of gold and silver and leftovers left lying around but you're not to take any of it. Now that would have been different in Bible times when a group of people I took over a city. All the things left over, uh, they could have. In other words, the spoils belonged to the victor. But at the battle of Jericho, God was the victor, and the spoils belonged to him. It was almost like a tithe. And so, of course, he, so he said, you're not to take any of it. And they said, yes, sir, we understand. Well, they go on to march around the walls on the seventh time of the seventh day. They blow the trumpets. They blow the ram's horns. And sure enough, just like God said, the walls come tumbling down. Now, you don't find this out till chapter 7, but when you read 
your Bible. You're going to use your sanctified imagination. We find out there's a man named Achan. He was a soldier in the Israelite army. And I just imagine as the walls came tumbling down, there was debris everywhere. There was probably dust everywhere. I'm sure it was chaotic. I'm sure it was exciting. But as the children of God were making their way back towards the camp there in Gilgal, I can just imagine old Achan was walking along and he looked down and he saw something shiny there in the dirt. He picked it up and it was some gold and silver. And he looked to the right and he looked to the left and no one was looking and he put those items in his pocket and he kept on walking. He walked a little further and he saw a goodly Babylonish garment. He walked, he picked uh, picked it up. I'm sure he tried it on. I bet it fit like just like a glove. And he said, my soul, they don't have these where I come from. I'd like to have one of these. And he looked to the right and he looked to the left and no one was watching. And he took the gold and silver and that Babylonish garment and he put them underneath his clothes and he made his way back uh, to his tent there in Gilgal. And the Bible says in chapter 7 that he put those items and hid them underneath his tent. Now I want you to see this. This is his confession in verse number 21. Chapter 7, verse 21, please. Chapter 7, verse number 21. This is the confession from Achan's own mouth. He says, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Right there, that's the confession from Achan's own mouth. And as we study his confession in verse number 21, we kind of see how his sin unfolded. Oftentimes we preachers, and I may say it this week, so forgive me, we'll say, well, he fell into sin or she fell into sin. May I say this? Nobody falls into sin. You step into sin. Sin is never an accident. Sin is always a choice and it's always your decision. But can I say this? Before he fell off the cliff, there were steps that he took to get him closer and closer to the edge. Can I say this tonight? Just generally, if you don't want to fall off the cliff, stay away from the edge. If you don't want to fall off the cliff, stay away from the edge. But he got closer and closer to the edge here. And notice the steps that he took as the sin began to unfold in verse number 21. It began with what he saw. The Bible says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment. May I say tonight, many sins in the Word of God began because people did not guard their eyes. I said many sins in the Bible began because people did not guard their eyes. Hey, I think of Eve. The Bible says when she saw the fruit, it was pleasant to her. Her eyes. I think a lot. When he lifted up his eyes and beheld the well water plains of Jordan, which were like Egypt. I think of Potiphar's wife. The Bible says when she cast her eyes upon Joseph. The Bible says of David when he saw a woman bathing herself. Friend, every time the Bible speaks of seeing in those instances, it does not speak of an accidental glance. It speaks of an intentional gaze. It's not the first look that gets you in trouble. It's the second look. You say, brother, in other words, you say, what are you saying? I'm saying you better be very careful what you look at. You look at the wrong things and you end up getting yourself in trouble. You say, Brother Taylor, if I mean, if I'm at home trying to watch something on the television and a bedroom scene comes across the screen, is it a sin if I accidentally see it? No, it's a sin if you don't change the channel. You say, preacher, I mean, if I'm walking through, uh, through the mall trying to find whatever you look for in a mall and uh, some uh, poster shows up on one of, the, one of the windows there, is it a sin if I accidentally see an inappropriate poster? No, it's a sin if you don't look away. You better guard your eyes. Hey, can I say this? You better be careful what you look at on Instagram. 
You better be careful what you're watching on Netflix. You better be careful about the videos that you're watching on YouTube. Are you tracking with me? You better be very careful about what you see. Many sins in the Bible over and over and over again began because people did not guard their eyes. He goes on to say this. I said in verse number 21, he says, when I saw, he goes on to say, then I coveted them. I wanted something that God said that I could not have. And he took them. He stole them. He stole from God. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. He put those stolen items underneath his tent. And at this point, here was his mindset. No one's going to find out about it. No one's going to know about it. It's not going to affect anybody else. Joshua's not going to know. The rest of the army He's not going to know. I'm not going to suffer the consequences of it. Listen to me. Wrong, 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 wrong. Achan tried to cover his sin, but in chapter 7, God uncovered his sin. Can I say that takes place all throughout the Bible? The Bible says of Adam and Eve, after they sinned against God, they went and hid themselves from the presence of God. And the Bible says the voice of God came walking to the garden, and He said, Adam, where art thou? Adam, where art thou? And they hid themselves from the presence of God. By the way, God knew where they were. They tried to cover their sin, but God uncovered their sin. I think of David and Bathsheba. The Bible says it was time when kings go forth to war. It was springtime. David should have been out on the battlefield, but the Bible says that he tarried behind at Jerusalem. By the way, idle time is the devil's workshop. Many of you have gotten yourselves in trouble this summer because you were sitting at home all day. Mom and dad are at work. You've had nothing else to do, and that's when you get yourself in trouble on the Internet. Idle time is the devil's workshop. And so there he is. He should have been on the battlefield, but he was somewhere where he should have never been, and he ended up seeing something that he should have never seen. And the Bible says on that day, as he's walking out on his terrace, he looks down, and the Bible says that he saw Bathsheba bathing herself. Instead of walking away, instead of turning away, uh, that look turned into lust, and he calls for Bathsheba. They have a relationship. He sends her on her way until she becomes pregnant. News travels back to David that now she is pregnant. Now he's going to devise a plan to cover up all this. And so he calls Uriah. That was Bathsheba's husband back from the battlefield. And uh, he tried to get Uriah to, uh, to spend the night with, with his wife Bathsheba, but he would not do that. Uh, so so uh, David goes to the next step. He tries to get Uriah drunk so he would spend the night with his wife. But even a drunk Uriah had more character than a sober David. He still refused to do that. And so finally uh, David's hands are tied so he thanks. So he takes out a piece of paper and he writes out Uriah's death warrant and he says, put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. He folds it up. He puts it in Uriah's own hand and Uriah delivers his own death warrant to Joab on the battlefield. Joab opens it up, reads the letter from David. He puts Uriah in the hottest part of the battle and there his life is taken on the battlefield. Oh, David goes on to marry Bathsheba. A life goes on. He thinks everything's fine. Life will go on as normal until the next chapter. And Nathan the prophet shows up and he gives a heartbreaking story about an injustice that was done with a little ewe lamb. And all of a sudden, David hears that story and he's outraged over the wrong that was done and the injustice of that story. And David, in his outrage, says, that man will be punished for his sin. And Nathan looked at him and said, David, thou art the man. 
And all of a sudden, the weight of David's sin comes crashing down upon him. Listen to me. Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin, and God uncovered their sin. David tried to cover his sin, and God uncovered his sin. Achan tried to cover his sin, and God uncovered his sin. Here's the point. You can't hide your sin from God. You can delete your history bar, but you can't delete your history bar from God. Some of you are doing things right now behind mom and daddy's back they don't know about, your pastor don't know about, your youth pastor don't know about, your friends don't know about. But listen to me, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. There's just, God just has a way of shaking things out that people thought they had hidden. God has a way of bringing things to the surface that, that, that we thought we had cover up. God has a way of bringing those things to the surface, doesn't He? Number one, sin is deceptive. You cannot hide your sin from God. Notice this, number two, second statement about sin tonight. Sin is destructive. Sin is destructive. You come to chapter 7 and we find them going to the second battle. And the second battle after the battle of Jericho was the battle at Ai. In fact, notice the Bible says in verse number 2, chapter 7, verse 2, and Joshua was sent men from Jericho to Ai. The spies went up to Ai. Uh, they searched out the city. They checked it out. Uh, they came back to Joshua and said, Joshua, we don't need to send the whole army. Just send about two or 3,000 men. Ai is a real small city. Uh, we don't need to send the whole army. Just send two or 3,000 soldiers. We'll whip them and we'll be on to the next one. But here's the problem. Not one time did they stop and pray about that. Had they stopped and prayed about it and said, God, are we ready for this? God would have said, no, you're not ready for this. There's sin in the camp. And if you go now, you're going to lose the battle. Had they stopped and checked with God first, they would have saved themselves from a defeat. Can I say that's true for me and you as well? Can I say this? God ought to be calling the shots in your life. Before you take that job, before you get in that relationship, before you go to that college, before you make that move, you want to check with God first. Because if you stop and pray and let God be God in your life, it may just save you from a major defeat in your life. But here they are. They're confident now. They just come off of Jericho and they're ready to march on. And he never checks with God. And they go up to the battle of Ai. They're expecting to be the victors. Instead, they're the victims. And on that day at the battle of Ai, 36 men lost their lives at the battle of Ai. You say, why is that, preacher? Because there was sin in the camp. God took His hand of protection and blessing off of them. And as a result, they suffered a defeat in the battle of Ai. Can I say this? Sin always leads to defeat in our life. I want you to think about this. 36 Israelite soldiers died that day. Think about this. That meant potentially 36 women had to live the rest of their lives without a husband. That meant potentially 36 women, uh, children, had to live the rest of their lives without a daddy. Here's the point. Your sin affects other people. Your sin affects other people. Can I say, you're not an island in and of yourself. You say, Brother Taylor, I'm just going to live my life however I want to. I'm going to make my own choices, my own decisions, because my life doesn't affect anybody else. That is a lie tonight. Your sin and my sin affects other people. Excuse me, my sin will affect my wife. My sin will affect my daughter. Your sin will affect other people. In fact, the flip side is true as well. Many of you here this, uh, today, uh, tonight, other people's sin has affected you. Some directly and some indirectly. There's teenagers here today, if we could uncover it, it would be heartbreaking to know some of the hurts that you've already experienced in your young life because somebody sinned against you and hurt you. Well, sin hurts other people, doesn't it? 
Some of you right now at home, you, uh, if you got a dog, would you raise your hand? You got a dog at home? Here's what's sad for some of you. Some of you talk better to your dog than you do your mom and dad. Disrespectful, rebellious. And yet some of you have younger brothers and sisters that are five, six, seven, eight years old. And now some of your younger brothers, brothers and sisters begin to disrespect mom and dad. Can I ask you a question? Where did they learn that from? See, your sin affects other people. Some of you, every time, every afternoon and evening, your mom pull into the driveway, your mom and dad get home from work, and they pull into the driveway, and as soon as they, they shut the car off, there's a sigh. Because <sighs> they know when they walk into that front door, it's going to be World War III for the rest of the evening. Because all you do is fight, and you rebel, and you're disrespectful. Listen to me. Your sin affects other people. Not only were people hurt, but notice this, progress halted. Progress was halted. In fact, notice in verse number two, number 6, please. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. You see, what's that all about? In the Bible times in the Old Testament, during times of great distress, they would uh, rent their, rip their clothes and put sackcloth and dust on their ashes, uh, ashes on their head, uh, to, to show they were in times of great distress. You study Joshua's military career, this is the only time that casualties are recorded under his leadership. This is a dark chapter in Joshua's life. And so in his distress, listen to me, he goes to the ark of the Lord. You say, what's that all about? The ark of the Lord represents the presence of God. Can I say, as God's people, when we sin, we don't fix sin by adding more sin to it. He went to the presence of God. Listen, when you and I have defeats in our life and we are overcome with our own sin, we don't turn to alcohol, we don't go to the bar, we don't turn to drugs, we don't uh, turn to relationships, we don't go on a Netflix binge, come on now. There's one place to go to during a time of defeat and that is to the presence of God. He goes on to say in verse number 7, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou, catch that, he said, Wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us from the hand of the Amorites to destroy? He says, God, why did you bring us over here just to get us destroyed? Can I say this? He was inadvertently blaming this defeat on God. Can I say this? Their sin was not God's fault. Their sin was their fault, your sin is your fault, and my sin is my fault. You say, oh preacher, I would never outright say, God, this is your, my sin. I would never blame my sin on God, but we do it through the back door. Well, God, if you didn't put me in this family, I wouldn't treat my mom and dad that way. Well, God, if you didn't give me that brother and sister, I wouldn't have talked to them that way. And inadvertently, we begin to put the blame on God. You mark it down. Sin's never an accident. Sin is always your choice. It's always your fault. It's always my fault as well. But notice what God says here. Joshua's laying on the ground in verse number 10. And notice what God says here. And the Lord said to Joshua, get thee up. He says, Joshua, get up. Listen, he's lying on his face, he's defeated, he's in distress, he's been overcome by his own sin, he's been knocked down by sin, and God says, Joshua, get up. Joshua, get up. Can I say there's a time to be broken and in distress and, and to weep over our sin, but there also comes a time that we need to get up and deal with it as well. Some of you come to the camp this week and spiritually you've been knocked down by sin. You've been defeated by sin. You're in despair because of your sin. And here's what God's saying to you on a Monday night at camp. Hey, it's time to get up. 
It's time to get up so we can deal with this so that you can move forward in the Christian life. That was verse number 12, and we'll move on to the third point. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. God says, neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. God says, until you deal with the sin that is in the camp, you're not going to move forward for me anymore. You're not going to win any more battles. You'll never experience any, uh, any more miracles or victories until you deal with the sin that is in the camp. Listen, the application simple tonight. As long as there is sin in your life and in my life, you and I are not going to move forward for God spiritually. We've got to deal with the sin that is in the camp. Number one, sin is deceitful. Number two, sin is destructive. And lastly, number three, sin must be dealt with. Sin must be dealt with. You say, Brother Taylor, how do I deal with the sin that's in my life? How do I deal with this? How do I go forward spiritually? I'm in a rut. I'm stuck. How do I go forward, Brother Taylor? In verse number 13, God tells Joshua, I want you to bring everybody, man by man, woman by woman, uh, I mean, tribe by tribe, family by family, everybody, pass them one before you, and then I'm going to show you who brought the sin into the camp. Let me just ask you a question. Doesn't that sound like a long, drawn-out process? And that's an all-day affair. Come on now. Couldn't the God just stuck His finger out of heaven and said, Achan, thou art the man. Could God have done that? But He didn't. You say, why didn't God do that? Why did God go through the long, drawn-out process? Listen to me. I believe God was giving Achan time to repent. Can I say this? God's a gracious God, isn't He? There may be somebody here tonight, you have sin in your life, and God's been dealing with your heart about it for a while now. And you've been clinging to it. You've been covering it. You've been hiding it. And God's been dealing with your heart. But you think to yourself tonight, well, hadn't been caught yet. No one's found out yet. No one knows about it yet. Haven't suffered because of it yet. Don't mistake God's patience for God's permission. God's being gracious to you. But you don't know how much longer He's going to be patient with you. He goes on to say this. You say, preacher, how do I deal with my sin? Notice it begins with a confession. It begins with a confession. Verse number 20 says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Now listen, there's a difference between being sorry for your sin and just being sorry that you got caught. And if you study this confession out, he wasn't sorry for his sin. He was sorry that he got caught. But this morning, this week, if you are truly sorry with the sin that God exposes and convicts you of in your life, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, if you're truly sorry for your sin and you confess those sins to God, God promised you in His Word, I will forgive you and cleanse you of that sin. But would you notice, please, it doesn't stop there. And by the way, he was not sorry for his sin. He was sorry he got caught. But in verse number 22, it doesn't just start with a confession. That's where it starts, but it's got to be followed up with a correction. Verse 22 says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran. Circle that word, ran, if you will. And they ran unto the tent. Joshua comes to the messengers and says, we found the sin. It's under Achan's tent. And the Bible says the messengers ran unto the tent. In other words, they didn't say, well, Joshua, uh, we'll take care of it when we get around to it. We'll deal with it later. We'll take care of it next week. No, they ran unto the tent. In other words, when it came time to dealing with the sin, they dealt with it with a sense of urgency. Can I say this week, if God deals with your heart and life about sin, you don't need to deal with it later. 
You need to deal with it now. You don't need to deal with it tomorrow. You need to deal with it today. They ran to the tents. You read the rest of the story, and they got Achan and the tent and all the belongings, even his family, they were in on it, and they took him outside of the camp, and they stoned him, and they set it all on fire, and they got all the sin, they cleansed the sin out of the camp. May I say, it's not enough just to confess your sin, you've also got to correct your sin. It's not enough to say, God, I'm sorry for looking at those websites. No, you've got to get those wrong websites out of your life. It's not enough to say, God, I'm sorry for listening to that music. No, you've got to get the wrong music out of your life. Can I give you a word of encouragement? Notice chapter 8, verse 1, I'm done. In fact, let me give you a quote right here. In Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Did we see that tonight? He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. And by the way, neither will you. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. Adrian Rogers, the old preacher, said it this way. He said, if you cover your sin, God will uncover it. But if you uncover your sin, God will cover it. Chapter 8, verse 1, notice this. Now in chapter 7, they discover the sin and they dealt with the sin. But in chapter 8, verse 1, here's what God says. And the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not. You know what that was? That was a word of encouragement. I think that's a theme this week, isn't it? Fear not. How many knows at that point Joshua needed some encouragement? How many here tonight says, Brother Taylor, I need some encouragement tonight. Would you raise your hand? He says, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people, not some of them, not two or three thousand. Take all the people of war with thee and arise and go up to Ai. And I love this. Uh, this He says, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. Notice verse number two. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. He says, now that you've dealt with the sin, I mean, you've confessed it and you've corrected it, you've got the sin out of the camp. Now, in chapter 8, you can move forward and you can go back to living in victory once again. Can I ask you a question? Which chapter did you come to camp in? What chapter right now in your life are you in? Right now, some of you are in chapter 7 and you have sin in your heart and in your life that this week God wants to deal with. And He wants you to correct, confess that sin and correct that sin so that, listen to me, you can turn the page and start a brand new chapter this week. Here's the good news about the grace of God. Here's the good news about these two chapters in the Word of God. You may have come to camp in chapter 7, but you can leave camp in chapter 8. You can have victory if you uncover your sin. Father, we love you tonight. And Lord, thank you for being a gracious God. And Lord, I believe some people would look at this Old Testament story and say, wow, God is a harsh God. God is a mean God. But the reality is, Lord, you love us so much that you will kick the walls down in our lives in order for us to deal with our sin so that we can have fellowship with you and move forward for you spiritually. I wonder if there's a young person here this week who would say, we're not going to have a formal invitation. I just want to know how to pray for you. We're just setting the tone for the entire week. How many tonight would say, Brother Taylor, I'm afraid that I've come to camp in chapter 7. I'm afraid right now that in my life, my mama doesn't know about it, my daddy doesn't know about it, my pastor, my youth pastor, even my friends don't know about it. But there's some things going on in my life 
I got some things underneath my tent tonight that I shouldn't have. And there's some things going on in my life that shouldn't be going on, Brother Taylor. And because of those sins, spiritually, I've come to a screeching halt. I'm defeated. I'm in despair. I can't get a prayer answered. I mean, my spiritual life has just come to a screeching halt because of sin in my life. Brother Taylor, I have come to camp in chapter 7. But this week, I'm going to be honest and open and real with God because even though I've come to camp in chapter 7, Brother Taylor, tonight, my heart's desire is to leave camp in chapter 8. If that's you, would you raise your hand tonight? Brother Taylor, that's me. That's me. I want God to work in my life this week. I want to be cleansed. I want to confess my sin. I want to be right with God when I leave at a camp this week. I want to move forward with, with God. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in His grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.